like I fart. Oh, ooh. Okay. <laughs> Should be another raw intro that we just roll into. <laughs> uh, and here we go. And that just happened. Steve, it is the Friday TSS episode that we're recording on Thursday. How's it going, man? Good, man. Really good. I'm uh, bound to determine to get out and like go do some uh, dog chew hunting tomorrow. Some um, dog chew hunting. What, dog can chew. you please elaborate on dog chew hunting? <laughs> dog chew hunting is uh, looking for sheds. I just uh, like to call them dog chews. So, so we had was- a TSS question that said specifically, I was wondering if you guys could give some advice on tips for shed hunting. And it just had to laugh when that one came through. Uh, yeah no i can't at all i don't i, I don't to my, in my life i've picked up like four sheds so but uh there's nothing else to do right now and i really want to get out and just go hike so my buddy jason's a shed fanatic and that's where the dog chew thing comes from because i'm always giving crap that uh you know they like shed hunters are very interesting um creatures uh that they find all these horns and the, and the guys like jason i mean he's got just like a, you know, I probably even shouldn't say this publicly, but like a garage full of horns um, that he'll never do anything with, and I don't, I don't understand it, right? Like, it doesn't, like, it's just like a crazy cat lady hoarding thing, you know? The, <laughs> crazy cat lady. <laughs> I don't get. I mean, what are you gonna do with a garage full of horns? I mean, they're cool to pull out and look at. Jason makes a Christmas tree like every year with them. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's cool. rad. It's like, I just don't get it, man. I mean. It, people will think this is crazy, but I've legitimately like animals I've killed, like a small buck, small bull I've cut up. My dog loves to chew on horns, so stuff that I've killed is just you know it's sat on a shelf in the garage for five years, and it's a you know a little raghorn bull. I've just taken a saw to and cut it up like that. To me, the antlers are they're cool to look at, but it's not. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like they don't mean yeah, that much. Hoarding to me, of it, collecting of it. Clearly enough to the point where I've just taken them and cut them up, but. For the guys like to go out there and find them, um, pick them up, and then like they're like this precious jewel that they hold on to for the rest of their life. I just don't quite get it. So yeah. I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna find a big horn and I'm gonna shoot the best spoof video I could possibly imagine. It's gonna be epic. So <laughs> can't um, wait for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get like yeah, yeah. I get the pursuit, especially the time of year. Like you said, if you're not doing something else that gets you outside, it is fun just to like naturally find stuff um even we were talking about the other day of when we were camping we were looking for morels and afterwards my wife was like that was actually really fun like to go out and actually yeah you're getting outside and you're just hiking but actually be looking for something that was fun so i could get that appeal i get the appeal of if you're in an area where you're tracking a, a buck or a bull like over its time and you can find sheds that you then tie to an animal that that's cool like i get it but with you of like just the hoarding and like the from a pure like quantity perspective um it is interesting then you got obviously you got the guys who sell them and do all that so the it, people are in it for different reasons I, for sure i get like yeah i'm 100 percent on board with everything but the hoarding of them like yeah i mean just the, the crazy cat of, lady aspect yeah the crazy cat it's legitimate the same thing um it's it, it just makes no sense so at least they're not pooping and peeing everywhere they're just sitting in a garage and you know <laughs> take up space (laughs) so long story short we don't have any shed hunting tips to share but let's get on to another question that maybe we can talk a bit about um let's do a pack one so this guy says i just listened to the base camp spike camp or bivy episode uh, which is a full-length episode we released uh last week with the born and raised crew about different types of 
camping for hunting, elk hunting specifically. He says he does a combination of base camp and bivy hunting. Likes to be able to move spots and cover a lot of ground. Um, So his question is about pack size. He says, I feel like the 3200 would be a good fit for me, capable of doing a three to five day hunt. Um, Or what are your thoughts on going with the 48 for, again, three to five day hunts, but also considering that he might want to, in the future, expand um, basically the length of his trips. He also says he's primarily hunted more deer in the past, but is looking to do more elk hunting in the future. And is the difference in those species a factor at all in his pack choice? Mm. Um, for me, I do need just because on deer, I, I typically need more pack and that's just because of optics. Like quite often on elk hunting, I will not pack a tripod and spine scope where I'm going to have to have that on deer and also deer. Um, I, 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 we've talked about a lot in the past, but I, I have to pack water, uh, you know, more water than normally elk woods. You just kind of like stay in, in the timber and just, you know, there's way more water. So, uh, deer, you know, loading up at the bottom of the mountain, you got to add another, you know, three liters of water to your pack that takes up a decent amount of space. So those two things, sometimes deer hunting, like really put, if I'm, you know, my pack's full elk hunting, it pushes me over the edge on deer. Um, the, uh, pack size, you know, it's a tricky one. It, it's, uh, we have got a, the 3200 is perfect for most guys. If all they ever do is like three night, four day hunts. That's like what that thing's built for. Um, and that's your average guy, average equipment. Uh, me personally, obviously I'm on the lightweight side. I could stretch that out to a week. You know, I'd be really full, uh, doing a week long hung out of that, but I know I could, um, you know, for this guy, sounds like a 4800 would be a good choice you know you just you realize that you, you're packing what five six extra ounces something like that um the, the cool thing about the 48 and uh is that horseshoe zipper when the pack is like when he's day hunting with it um even when the pack's fully compressed you still have really good access to that that front horseshoe zipper we're on a 3200 when you compress it the zipper kind of gets it goes underneath the compression straps um so it's like a little bit harder to access um, so if he's not super concerned about weight, I think the 4,800 is the better choice. Um, the one thing I'm sure you give the same advice when you talk to people on the phone, I always, you know, it's a very, very common question for us is what bag size. And we have a just, it's super easy 30 day return policy. Uh, so I just tell guys like, you know, if you're like, I think I want this one, but I'm not sure. It's like, man, just order up the one you want. Uh, you know, get it, load up all your gear in it mock like you're going on a hunt. And either you're going to find out you got enough space or you don't. If you don't, you literally just take the bag off, throw it in an envelope uh, and ship it back to us and we'll swap it out for the bigger, smaller size, whatever you want to go with. So it's really simple. It's not this big process. You don't have to send the whole pack back. You just send back just the bag by itself, not even the lid because the lid stays the same. Um, swap it out. So we, we make it easy to, to do that. And that's the good thing about ordering this time of year is you give yourself plenty of uh, – lead time in advance before you know before fall hunting seasons really kick off that yeah. uh, you get that dialed in yeah and some guys um you know when talking with them they'll even say they order the, the 4800 pack system they'll even go ahead and order the 3200 bag only and they'll get both be able to compare them side by side be able to test load both of them and then send whichever one they don't want back for that refund so that's another option as well obviously you're paying up front which not everybody wants to do which is understandable 
but at least you can get them go side by side and then yeah like i said no hassle on returning that yeah. you just have that time to test yeah. them out and we're like i said we're super uh kind of liberal easy when it comes to that stuff because we, we know we're uh, you know, an online company and you're in 99% of these guys are buying them sight unseen. So we're not like super, super picky, you know, down to like, oh, you ordered 31 days ago, you're SOL, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we just try to like within reason work with people and, and uh, make it as easy as possible. Well, let's hit one on shelters. Uh, this is a little bit of a longer question to read, but I think the guy makes some, some interesting points to think through uh, instead of just asking a super brief question of like, should I go with a four-wheel shelter or not? Um, and I'd also say that we do, we've hinted at this a few times in the TSS episodes as these questions come up, but we have been working on a Pack Essentials series and we will have a kind of a full-length discussion on shelters, shelter types, pros and cons, what we use, what we use according to the conditions or the place, like a longer discussion is coming. But let's dive into this one because he brings up some good points. He says, I would like your thoughts and opinions on floorless shelters, such as the Seek Outside, Jimmy Tarps, etc., compared to a standard enclosed bathtub-style shelter, such as Big Agnes, Nemo, Six Moon Designs. He says he will be backcountry elk hunting this year in Montana in September. He's from the Midwest. The western hunting he has done in the past has been for late rifle seasons in Colorado. Um... Tied with that, this is kind of a separate point, but we'll get into it all. He says, I'm also leaning towards running a quilt after much research and listening to the episodes that you guys had with the guys from Catabatic. But at the same time, the thought of using a quilt with a floor shelter kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies with potential creepy crawlies such as mice or whatever else. Um, am I just being a wuss on that point or worrying about nothing? Uh, he also goes on to say, from much internet research, it seems like everyone that switched to a floral shelter says they wish had, they had done it a long time ago. Uh, blah, 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 blah. He knows that one of the pros for running a floral shelter is the stove option, but he also wants to stay mobile. And so he wants to consider what will be best when you're just setting up camp and then moving the next day. So to him, the stove uh, option for a floral shelter isn't the main consideration. So all that said, Steve, floorless versus called a standard or a bathtub style shelter for this guy specifically, El Cundin, Montana, staying mobile, primarily September. And then we'll chat a little bit about... Uh, quilts versus bags after that yeah the floorless shelter is an interesting one uh you know i, I i'm 100 on board with what he's saying like i to i'm not necessarily worried about um i don't get like heebie-jeebies but just like an ant crawling across my face wakes me up in the middle of the night uh and it's just annoying more than anything so i prefer to just um like i I always have my bivy sack with me if I'm in shelter. Like, basically, I've got my tarp, I got my bivy sack, and I just zip it up so I'm fully enclosed. And I just seem to sleep better that way, uh, to where I, you know I'm just not worrying about bugs crawling across my face because it just it it definitely happens, and it's just like I said, it wakes me up and it's annoying, or I don't sleep as good as I possibly could have uh, if I'm like you know I feel something and then I smack my neck or something, right? Um, the floor of the shelter, you know, I. There's probably not too many guys out there um, from a weight savings perspective. I would venture to guess 80 plus percent of them. If you're doing a floorless shelter, you're also packing 
uh, a Tyvek ground sheet or something that goes under your pad, right? Not many guys are just throwing their pad directly on the ground. Uh, for me, it's my bivy sack, so it's, you know, uh, a tarp and a, and a bivy sack. Um, I know you personally have used uh, um, ground cloth type stuff before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I bet the weight savings is very, very minimal. If you're just talking about like, you know, a six moons type tent that's got a floor and a little mesh wall to it versus, you know, a, a TP that's the, basically the same dimensions, but doesn't have that, that floor to it. Uh, Cause if you're, you're going to pack a ground cloth anyway. So it is, I mean, there's, I think a floor of the shelter, um, limits you in some regards to where you can pitch your tent unless you've got a big ground cloth. So if you're not packing a ground cloth then it's like, you know, you're not, you don't want to throw it on, um, you know, uh, one late season stuff with snow is going to be interesting. Um, two, you know, mud. Uh, one thing that's really annoyed me, especially like I'll notice this a lot on deer hunts. It, you know, you're talking early September. It's really hot and dusty. Uh, so you know, if you find it, if you find a flat spot but it's covered in like two inches of moon dust, that's a train wreck. I've, mm-hmm. I've been there, done that. That's no fun. Uh, <laughs> one, like I remember one. You know, you just like it was so dusty that just simply like rolling over in the middle of the night to like change positions, dust would kick up. And I mean, I woke up in the morning and everything was just covered. But it was one of those deals. It was like dark and it was the only flat spot I could find. So that's definitely um, annoying, I would say, and and can maybe limit you a little bit. Or you just, you know, at the same time, you just got to get if you're going floorless, you just got to get used to like, all right, you're going to be a little bit more dirty. Um, you know, you're going to sleep on wet ground, stuff like that. That's going to pop up. But um, yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, there's a lot to be said for crawling in your tent and feeling comfortable and sleeping better. So if, if he's, you know, if he's that worried about mice and bugs and spiders and stuff like that, I, I would just go with a, a, a either have a be inside of a bivy sack inside that floor of the shelter, or I would uh, just get a tent that's got a floor to it. Yeah, uh, just to add, I guess my experience, there's a couple of things that come to mind. You know, him saying he wants to be more mobile leads me more towards a, a quote unquote traditional style shelter, something that has less of a footprint to it. So it's easier to find a spot, not only in terms of what you mentioned of how is the ground, but just in terms of space. Um, it just is easier to find spots in general for a smaller traditional shelter versus a floral shelter. That's just going to have a bigger footprint. Yeah. For, um, I mean, there's floor shelters that are small. Footprints, wide. But, but yeah. yeah. If you're just talking like a, a teepee for sure, those are, those get wide and take up a lot of space. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he mentioned being from the Midwest and having that uh, perspective in mind myself, if you're looking to use this shelter in the Midwest and use it year round, I would again, go back to a, a more traditional shelter um, with a floor bug net type setup, just because there are, you know, there's ticks, there's chiggers, there's snakes. Like, so if you're like this time of year, current spring stuff, I don't use a floral shelter, um, in the Midwest at all, just cause there are too many, not only like discomfort options of, like you said, an ant on your face, but actual, uh, creepy crawlies to somewhat worry about. Um, so this is like a, a shelter you're investing in. You want to be able to use it kind of anywhere anytime then um a floralist has some drawbacks there as well for your use in the midwest for me it comes down to kind of the style of the hunt which is what he was saying coming from the bivy versus base camp thing i've loved experiences of having a bigger floralist shelter 
um, sharing that with uh, my hunting partner, having more space for gear. Like there's some definite benefits to that when you're doing um, a longer setup, kind of a backcountry base camp. But if you're staying more mobile, I just tend to go with, um, yeah, something smaller, something a bit more traditional that's easier to set up, easy to find that spot for. So, um, yeah, I'm right on board. Yeah, they, I mean, the probably the best of both worlds is, and I don't know, to be honest, I don't know. Lenny has a GoLite TP. Obviously, GoLite's no longer in business, but it, you know, it's a, a TP, and then it's got an entire um, floor mesh inner as well. So, you know, it, over the years, we've situationally used that or not, you know, like, early scouting in June, July, uh, mosquitoes are just freaking terrible. You, you pack the extra weight and have that inner tent with you. Um, you know, by the time you get to middle of September, all the bugs are pretty much gone, the, the mosquitoes and whatnot. Um, and then, yeah, I said, it's, it's just a matter of doesn't, you know, an ant is not going to hurt you. Uh, it's just annoying like it is for me. So it's kind of a preference deal there. Got another email that was, uh, again, a little bit longer, but very kind of interesting and was fun to think through. Um, very personal decision. We'll get to that. But this guy was obviously uh, understanding that and just looking to our personal thoughts on it. So this guy says, I live in the Midwest, have been hunting elk DIY on public land every year for a little over a decade, and I've actually had quite a bit of success. I'm not a trophy hunter. Um, it's about the experience in the mountains and filling the freezer. And he's been lucky enough to fill a tag most years. He says, my brother will be going along with me this year. Uh, and while this gentleman personally does trips every year, his brother's able to only go every three to five years. And they want to go after a mule deer. They say it's for both of us more about the experience and the trophies but obviously we would like to have a nice set of mule deer antlers if possible. So here's where it gets interesting. He says he has almost 10 years of deer preference points. He didn't say what state, doesn't matter for the scenario, but he has 10 years of preference points. His brother has zero. His brother says he doesn't mind if he goes along just for the trip and the experience and doesn't hunt. But this gentleman writing in says he'd like his brother to be able to hunt as well if possible. So long story short, this guy has 10 years of preference points, brother has zero, and this guy lays out three potential options. Number one, burn the points on a deer hunt this year to get a tag um, that he hasn't been to before and can only e-scout, and both him and his brother concentrate on that good area and filling the one tag on a nice buck. Option two, burn the points and split them with his brother so basically submitting as a group, bringing that average down so they can't get into quite as good of an area, but still a decent area. And both him and his brother can then hunt again. They won't be able to go there beforehand and they will rely just on e-scouting. Option three, save the points for this year. Don't draw any tags. Go on a scouting trip slash camping adventure together with his brother in the high country <clears throat> excuse me, to check out a unit to hunt in the future with his deer points, be able to spend the time with his brother, find some deer, relax, do some fly fishing, and general recreation. So with 10 years of points, which is a lot of investment, he's considering those options. What are our personal thoughts on those options? Pretty interesting to think through. Yeah, to me, that's pretty easy. I would pick uh, i'd absolutely 
if his, if his brother can only hunt every so many years, but he can hunt every year, I would pick a unit, pick the unit that he wants to hunt with his 10 points. Um, I'm going to assume he's talking about probably Wyoming, maybe Colorado. Yeah, that was my vibe. Um, yeah, I think Wyoming, I'd, I would pick the unit that you scout that out now, right? Okay. I want to hunt unit dot, dot, dot. Um, then I would find the unit as close as possible to that, that he and his brother have a good chance of getting tags this year. So whether it's an over the counter tag or they just have to apply, um, I don't know how, uh, well, it depend on that. Could he apply without using without points? burning points? Sure. Yeah. Without burning points. I'm not sure. Maybe on a second choice type situation. I'm not sure how it would work, but I would hopefully maybe it's a general tag or something like that. I would get as close as he possibly can. Uh, and then just go hunt it, uh, go hunt it with the two of you guys. Um, have a blast. I, the whole scouting trip thing. Like if you're coming all the way out here, um, I think that's um, you're going to learn a lot more actually having a weapon in your hand, um, hunting similar country, right? Than you would if you were just to go in and, and do a backpacking scouting trip. Because really, he could if he wants to do the scouting trip. Just I'd go do that in early August or something. Um, and then you're going to see a lot more deer just because they're more active and and less uh, weary that time of year. Uh, so that's what I do. Yeah. I'd get as close as you could to hunt it, get that experience. Um, and then I would save, you know, and then go back next year or the year after and, and then use those 10 points. So, yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. It's kind of a, a fourth option that wasn't quite there. So that's cool. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, on the first question, we've got to go back. We, we, we skipped some stuff. Didn't you have some questions on a stove and or the, uh, quilt? You're right. I'm terrible. What a horrible keep, host keep you in I check, am. man. What a horrible <laughs> host. Um, okay, yeah, let's go back. So, yeah, quilts versus, um, he, he said mummy bag. He So, to elaborate further, I skipped a little bit. He is traditionally used, um, because I think they've primarily based camp hunted, he's used a called like a, a square sleeping bag, right? He mentioned the model, but it's basically not a mummy bag, not a quilt. He said he was somewhat, uh, the idea of a true mummy bag was claustrophobic to him. But then he also said the idea of using a quilt specifically in a forest shelter and being more open um, was also not necessarily mentally mentally too comforting to him. So yeah, quilt versus mummy bag. Is mummy bag claustrophobic? Can you use a quilt in a forest shelter? Those uh, related topics there. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I'm obviously all about the quilt. So are you from a performance weight savings, like the, the, uh, yeah, perform performance versus weight. Uh, I think is, you know, uh, that factor is, is pretty high compared to a mummy bag just because you can get a lot warmer bag for a lot less weight. Um, and in general, they're cheaper too. Um, not necessarily, but in general, they're like a high end, quilt is cheaper than a high-end sleeping bag of similar specs so um yeah it's definitely legit i mean it's open on all the sides so yeah if you're if you're not inside a fully enclosed tent or you're not inside a baby sack there's more chance for bugs to crawl over the pad and you know down through the side so uh, again that's just a uh some guys i know could care you know i give two uh two s's about that um but uh, other guys, you know, me personally, I don't, I don't want bugs crawling on me. So, uh, yeah, something I guess you got to do a, a personal decision. Yeah, which goes back to the shelter choice. Um, or if you're in floralist using a bivy, that type of thing for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never, I guess going, you know, because he mentioned feeling kind of claustrophobic in a mummy. I've never felt claustrophobic in a mummy. 
um, like from a, that, I guess, like anxiety perspective. But I will say I'm a pretty active sleeper in the sense I sleep on my side. I flip back and forth a lot through the night. I just I wake up and move quite a bit, even like at home. Um, and the freedom of movement with a quilt is exceptional for that. And the other nice thing is not only moving in the quilt, but because of the way the quilt attaches to the pad, you're basically moving in it and you're not running into this possibility of, say, on a mummy bag where you're just sitting on top of the pad and then, for me personally, go to turn over and actually roll off of the sleeping pad. Um, that's happened plenty of times in a mummy bag. Um, so, yeah, even if you are um, not worried about necessarily being claustrophobic in a mummy bag, I would say that kind of that freedom and the movement uh, of a quilt is another huge benefit for me personally. Yeah, 100% echo exactly what you just said. Um, same way. This is uh, not in his question, Steve, but it's come up time and time again. Um, actually came up like a day or two ago because I think guys have heard us talk about catabatic quilts uh, and lightened equipment quilts. And yes, have used some other options like hammock gear, but those two just come up quite a bit and they're both fantastic. But um, what are your thoughts between those two? Just pros and cons. Oh. They're both great, but it, yeah, we just, we get that question quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Catabatic, hands down, quality, performance is outstanding. The two things that I get hung up on, I have their Sawatch 15, Sawatch, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, uh, it, It's, you know, weight to weight, it's uh, spec to spec, it's heavier than uh, Enlightened Equipment. So they use a little bit heavier materials and then also how it's constructed, uh, it's, it is a superior design, um, in my opinion. How uh, the uh, the main thing that I've noticed is it's the internal of the sleeping bag is smaller than the external. So as it drapes over your body, um, everything's allowed to loft fully, and and then um, yeah, so it, it's a warmer bag. Um, but again, it just it's uh, when you start comparing weight specs. It's just going to be, you know, three to four ounces heavier than a catabatic, uh, which is, you know, what it is what it is. Um, it's not a huge difference, but it's there. Uh, and then the only other thing that um, I struggle with is the sizing on them. Their their standard size is too narrow for me, which is what I got in their 15 degree bag. Uh, and their wide is really wide. It's big. Um, we're uh, Enlightened Equipment standard size. Um, I believe it's 54 inches wide for Enlightened Equipment and like. 51 or 52 and you wouldn't think that'd make much of a difference but it, it does um like essentially for me when i roll and sleep on my side that's when it matters because as you roll it kind of want to lift up on the on the back side of you right uh so your 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 back might be exposed to air if, if you're not tied down to the pad uh super well so um yeah i think uh in line equipment's quality is amazing phenomenal if i was a if i was either a small guy say i was like five eight hundred fifty pounds their standard one would be awesome also, if I was a big dude, you know, I was 6'3 and 220, their, their wide would be awesome. But I'm like right in, right in between the sizing on theirs and, and how they built that out just uh, is a little frustrating for me. Yeah, I have the wide in the Catabatic and um, I'm not wide, but I I, I yeah. like it. I like the space, um, especially even in colder weather. Um, you can kind of you almost have like enough room to tuck it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost have it under you on both sides. So you're not getting drafts. 
And that kind of goes back to one of my favorite things. Like everything you said, the quality is obviously great and all that for sure. Um, and I think, as you said, spec to spec, it's they're more conservative in temperature ratings. Um, yeah, but what the attachment system is easy to overlook, but something that I just love, love, love about the Catabatic. And um, it's a simple cord system, but I love how they, they have these clips that basically have two positions. So in the first position, uh, the clip on the quilt can kind of slide over the cord. So that allows the quilt to move with you um, if needed. And then the second position really clamps down on the cord, which is around your sleeping pad. And so it does eliminate those drafts. It basically locks that quilt in place. So in really cold weather, I can almost kind of tuck it to where it's either right alongside me or a little bit under me lock it down in that second position. And then as I mentioned, as I'm rolling in the night and moving from side to side, I, it eliminates those drafts or the quilt kind of popping up. Um, so yeah, they're both they're both great from a quality perspective, performance. Uh, as you said, I think the Catabatic's a little more, I don't want to say featured, but I guess from a design perspective, there's a it's pretty clever for sure. Um, and you're just going to have maybe a couple ounces, um, of weight to kind of accommodate that. And then again, I think it's a little bit more conservative temperature ratings. Like mine's the 22 and I've had it down into mid teens without any issue. Um, obviously I was wearing a bit of clothing at that point too, but it's, I mean, it's a really versatile bag. I was using it on our family camping trip this past week and it was, 55 at night you know and again that goes back to the versatility of a quilt and just being able to drape it use it as little or as much as needed and it's it's a great kind of one do-it-all system for sure Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely cool well uh yeah that's a wrap today guys we got more questions in the queue and i'd love to have them keep coming from you guys so anything you want to hear about topic question whatever definitely let us know just send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com um, hope you guys have a great weekend and Steve, I'm, I'm waiting for the dog chew video, man. So you gotta make it happen. <laughs> I hope I find one. That's going to be so damn funny. It's probably gonna be some shed hunters that hate me afterwards, but it's, it's gonna I think be they already hated you from the start of this podcast. <laughs> you called them crazy cat ladies. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. All right. Go make it happen. All right.